me go ahead and begin by praying for our time together this morning. So if you would, go to the Lord in prayer with me. Father, we thank you for this time together uh, this morning that we can come and gather as your church. We thank you that uh, you've given us a new year of life. We thank you that we can encourage one another in it. We pray that you'd help us to do that. We thank you for the gospel of Christ. Thank you for the salvation that we have. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins and how you have made a way for us to draw near to you. Thank you that you give us a conscience that is cleansed from all that we have done. And we pray that we might be diligent to keep that clear conscience before you. We pray that you would use this morning's time together to help us to be wise in our decision making, to be pleasing to you in it, uh, to make decisions that are honoring to the Lord and those which will bring about blessing uh, to others and even in some ways our own lives. Uh, we pray that you would help us to rejoice in all the good things that you've done for us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, what we want to do is to resume our study of decision-making. And uh, we're going to do that by uh, really jumping back into the several considerations that we have had, that we've been looking, uh, looking at for the process of decision-making. I'll just uh, bring that back up by way of review and go through a few of these things. You may still have the sheet from this uh, from before Christmas, uh, if not, my apologies. We've been kind of working through this for a few weeks. Uh, the uh, process of decision-making uh, starts with two questions. One, is it right or wrong? And then, if it is not wrong, if it is under the general umbrella of it's right and righteous to do, uh, but it's not the only option, then what is the wisest thing to do? So is it right or wrong? If it's not wrong, then what is the wisest course of action? And we wanted to consider several things as we're going through this decision-making process. All along, as I mentioned, you want to involve prayer. Um, prayer is not one of these particular considerations directly at some point in the decision-making process. Rather, it's something that I would encourage to be done all along as you, uh, as you work through these various considerations. But in a sort of logical order, not so much a chronological order, but a logical order from the most objective side of the decision to the most subjective, there are several considerations that we've looked at and then we will get to the last two this morning. Uh, we need to consider, first of all, the facts. Consider the facts, make sure that we understand what the scenario actually is. What are the things that are really happening in this situation? We need to understand our own uh, biases and to make sure that we, are not, uh, that we are not misled by them. We wanna make sure that we understand the facts sufficiently well to make a decision that uh, is appropriate for the amount of time we have to give to the decision, the, the weight of the decision and so on, which we'll talk about more a little bit later, uh, but we want to make sure that we understand the facts. What are we actually deciding about here? What are the choices? What are the options? What, what is the situation before us? Um, we want to, knowing those things, consider the scriptures and how the scriptures apply to that particular situation, knowing not only is something directly re uh, referring to that thing in the Bible, but also is there some indirect thing or some implicit um, thing that forbids or requires that we take a particular source of action. So even if the Bible doesn't directly say, thou shalt not do this, sometimes there are principles that apply to the situation, and we want to make sure that we know what those are as well. Um, we'll talk about counsel a little bit later this morning, but this is one of the places where sometimes we might enlist someone in counsel that goes beyond merely uh, asking for their wisdom. When we are asking them, is there something I'm missing in the scriptures? You know, particularly if we have not given, had much time to think through this or we haven't read through the Bible a lot. Uh, but really, it could be good at any point in our Christian life or any level of uh, biblical knowledge to ask people uh, if there are biblical things that are just not being considered as we make a particular decision. So where does the scripture provide right and wrong answers and where does the scripture provide wisdom for this? Does, does the scripture have something to say about what our priorities ought to be, how we ought to look at the world, um, where this fits into what those things are and, and so on. Uh, number three, not just considering the facts and the scriptures, but also considering our heart, uh, considering how deceitful our hearts 
can be, how fallible and prone to oppose God our hearts can be, uh, the potential wrong attitudes that we, may be, uh, that we may possess as we're trying to make this decision. A few of the things that I mentioned uh, when we were going through this would be greed versus contentment, um, discontentment versus being willing to do without something, laziness versus being willing to work, uh, or just trying to take the easy way out versus being willing to do something hard, uh, Pride versus humility, selfishness rather than seeking the interests of others, uh, doing something based on a fear of man rather than the fear of God, things like this where you are saying, is this decision, am I making this decision because it's a sinful kind of desire or is there something involved that actually is righteous instead? Just making sure you sort that out at the heart level. Um, A fourth thing to consider would be your responsibilities. Your responsibilities, there may be things that you would decide differently if you had different responsibilities, if you weren't married, or if you were, if you weren't a parent, or if you are a parent, uh, if you are working in a particular job, or if you are not working in a particular job. Uh, How does this impact your responsibilities to the church? How does this affect the way you're going to interact with your friends and neighbors and so on? So make sure that you consider your responsibilities. Are you the one that should make this decision in the first place? Is this even your responsibility to do this? Do you have the authority to make this decision? And uh, is there anyone else who I need to consult before I do this? Uh, Number five, consider your circumstances. Your circumstances, namely um, your own abilities, your own time, your own resources. Do you have the time to do something? Do you have the, the knowledge to do something? If you were to, just, to make a certain decision, um, could you actually bring this to pass? Maybe uh, you've, uh, you've uh, uh, done what uh, I sometimes do, which is to make um, a purchase of some kind because you, know, you need to do something, you need to do it around the house or you need to fix something or whatever and then that purchase that seems so urgent because you needed to fix something right away well it turns out you don't actually have time to get to the thing to fix the thing with the thing that you just bought and so now it just sits there and taunts you about the fact that you know you haven't been able to do this uh, sometimes the best of intentions are uh, undone by our own inability to actually make the time to do something Uh, Maybe it's not just time, but some other factor involved. But nonetheless, make sure that your circumstances uh, are adequately considered. Uh, And then number six, consider the effects of the decision. The effects of the decision. Um, How much of an effect will this have upon your life? How much will this affect others? Who is this going to potentially affect? Now, this is very much obviously a judgment call and a lot of things. But how may this affect other people? Uh, So what are the ramifications of this decision? And because of that, or rather in light of that, um, how much time is this decision worth spending on? How much is it it worth to actually think about this and to research this and to look into this and to wrestle and to grapple with this? Is this worth the kind of attention and energy that we might give to it or might want to give to it just because it's a difficult decision? Uh, sometimes the decisions that we make are 50-50 or 51-49 or 60-40 or something like that where it's not really very clear one way or another between two or more choices what we ought to do. And that tends to be the kind of thing that gives that takes up a lot of our time more so than, well, if I choose one over the other, is this going to make a significant impact anyway? Or is this just not that big of a deal, even though it's hard to choose between these two? So don't just consider, you know, the difficulty of the decision or the likeness or differences of the choices that you have before you, but also consider, is this really going to make that big of a difference anyway, uh, even if I'm having a hard time picking between these options? So these are uh, the things that we've covered so far. What I want to do for this morning is to talk about Uh, two final considerations for this process. And uh, these might seem at odds with each other up front, but hopefully you will see that they are not. Uh, First of all, the place of the counsel of other people, and then uh, consideration of your own preferences and your own desires. Uh, Again, these are things that may seem at odds sometimes or to some people, but I hope you'll see that they are not. So we want to start by looking at uh, considering the counsel of other people. The counsel of other people. Proverbs 15, 
22, Proverbs 15, 22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Um, what is counsel? What is counsel? We think of counsel perhaps in a very formal sense, maybe um, in the realm of counseling, like we are sitting with someone who is a trained counselor and they are giving us counsel about something. Uh, but really, counsel has uh, a variety of different ways that it comes to us. Broadly speaking, uh, counsel is just other people's perspective or even other people's influence upon you uh, on something and on the way that you think, the way that you act. This doesn't have to be formal at all. People still function as counselors to one another uh, simply just by their own action uh, or even by their own inaction. You know, should I, should I go and do this thing? Well, if you're with a group of people and you kind of ask everyone, hey, what do you guys think about this? And nobody even really responds, then that's going to give you some kind of insight into what they think about it. And it's going to potentially influence your decision about whether you should go ahead and do it. Uh, so you don't have to say anything or do anything to give counsel to people. Now, with that said, when we talk about counsel as far as uh, making decisions, generally speaking, this would be the place of seeking out counsel or seeking out other people's thoughts, perspectives, opinions, um, or on the other side of that, giving that kind of counsel, trying to give wisdom, advice, uh, giving perspective, giving your opinion about things. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about counsel. Um, what makes you decide, and I might not be able to see, you know, everybody, so I'll just, if you have something, maybe just shout it out. But what is it that makes you decide when you should get counsel on a decision? And I'm not just speaking hypothetically, but what is it that in your life, what are the kinds of things where you say, you know, I need to go ask someone. And, and I'm not even so much talking about um, as you sit here and think about it right now, what should you go to someone for? But historically, like let's say over the past two years, if you have gone to someone for counsel about something, what is it that prompted you to actually do that? Okay, so Daniel didn't have a lot of experience, but someone else did, and so you went to them about it. Okay, great. What else? Okay, yeah, great. So, Patrick, some big change in your life? Is that, yeah, yeah. Okay, what else? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, serious consequences. Yeah, it's going to have a big impact. So you're, you're involving other people because you realize that. Yeah, good. What else? Okay. Yeah. So you're asking your own husband, right? So there's a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why you might even do that in particular too, but one of them is that he's, he has a stake, a major stake in this. Uh, another might be there's things where he, you know, that's, you say that's kind of his decision to make on the bigger picture in certain things. Um, so yeah, all kinds of stuff that would, that would lead you to do that. Yep. What else? Yeah, we feel so something just, yeah, pain or crisis happens and, and that leads us. Is, is it, do you think that in that case, this is something is, you've, you've realized I'm, that I can't do something about this, that I need help from someone else, um, that I just need someone to talk to? 
All of the above? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, it's good. Okay, what else? What drives, what drives you to go and ask someone else for wisdom in making a decision? Yeah, Bridget? Yeah, good. What else? I saw right over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so you already know what you want. And th- this is one of the uh, things that will... Uh, talk about with this as well. Um, I was going to actually talk about this, but let me, let me just take that and run with it. So if you have, um, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. Really a pivotal point in Israel's history. Uh, three kings have ruled over Israel, Saul, uh, Saul David, and Solomon. Solomon dies and he, uh, his son Rehoboam is to become king. So he does, and he gets some counsel about how he should start his reign. It's 1 Kings 12, verse 6. Well, let me back up a little bit. Uh, Verse 3, then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. And then he said to them, Depart for three days, then return to me. So the people departed. King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? And then they spoke to him, saying, If you'll be a servant to this people today... And will serve them and grant their, them their petition and speak good words to them, then they'll be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? The young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now you make it lighter for us, but you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So he says, I'm going to ramp it up. You thought it was hard under my dad? Just wait till you see what I do. Verse 12, then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, return to me on the third day. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Uh, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. And this split the kingdom of Israel into the two southern tribes and in the ten northern tribes. And so, verse 19, Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Uh, this turned out to be a very poor decision. And here, this speaks to the fact that there are different uh, possible types of counsel that could come from different people. Uh, we might know, and this is to Brandon's point, we might know 
what we want to hear already, and I'm not particularly saying that this is what he did right here, but uh, people are going to give different counsel, and it's very possible that we might know what they're going to tell us before we even choose to go to them in the first place. And we are afraid to go to people that we think will disagree with us. Uh, and I would encourage you to do just the opposite, which is to say uh, you should go to people that you know are going to challenge you and give you disagreeable, if you will, disagreeable uh, counsel or maybe give you a different perspective that you might not want to consider. And if your idea is really that good, then it will hold up and you can do what uh, you have chosen to do anyway. But at least they're going to get you thinking about whether you have uh, fallen prey to just your own selfish desires or your own biases or whatever it might be. Uh, so yes, make sure that you are considering carefully uh, why you might want to go to someone and, um, and make sure you try to get people involved that will, uh, especially if you feel yourself tempted to just do something that's unwise, uh, try to get someone else involved that will challenge that. Um, so when we think about going to other people, those are some of the reasons that we might choose to go to other people. Uh, let me give you a few more passages on the value then of counsel, in particular from Proverbs. We've read 15, 22 already. Proverbs 20, verse 18, prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. So if you're going to do something, especially that's a, a big deal like this, then don't just do this all on your own. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen: where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. And it speaks of the abundance of this. So tell me why it is that the Bible speaks highly, generally speaking, of counsel. Uh, what, why is it so potentially valuable? And then in a moment, we'll talk about some of the ways that we could misuse it. But why is it so potentially valuable other than what we've already talked about? Yeah, so it can, be, it can be more objective, right? Because they don't necessarily have a direct stake in it. They're not going to, you know, their life isn't going to be as impacted as much. Uh, so they can, they can maybe see it a little bit more clearly with less, you know, emotional desire or just longing for something. Yeah, good. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, uh, they literally just might understand this thing better than you. They, just, they're, uh, they may have more experience, more knowledge, whatever it is, and they just really, they might be more knowledgeable about it. Yeah. What else? Yeah, we just do what we're going to do. Uh, yes, right in their own eyes is the that was the state of Israel during the time of the judges, which was just a horrific time. You know, you read those end chapters of the book of Judges, seventeen through twenty-one, where it uses that phrase kind of on both ends as bookends, and it gives two just horrendous examples of what happens when people do just whatever they want. So yes, uh, kind of doing things independently without. Uh, without involving the opinion of other people, just as a general practice, can be particularly dangerous. Yeah, what else? I think someone went over here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, so it brings extra accountability, which is, uh, which is a good thing. Yep. Okay. Anything else? The value of counsel. Spiritual benefits. Also, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. This, this, right. So you're just you're just adding to. I mean, being finite, you at least are expanding functionally, kind of the amount of knowledge and experience and insight that's being brought into the picture. So yes, good. Yeah. Did I hear Cindy? Yeah, yeah. So it does. It helps you to be able to helps. Uh, you're bringing in extra sets of eyes on the situation and being able to and dip, from different levels, different perspectives. And yeah, they're going to be able to see things perhaps a little bit, uh, maybe be less myopic about it, you know, and uh, not actually just be blinded by only what's right there in front of them. Yeah. Uh, so yes, lots of uh, lots of value. Um, Proverbs 27 verse nine says, "Oil and perfume make the heart glad." So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Uh, on the opposite side of this, Proverbs 12, 5, the thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Uh, this is showing that there can be counsel that goes both ways. And uh, one of the things that is so valuable about friends is, and about counsel from them is just how, uh, how helpful their counsel can be. A man's counsel, Proverbs 27, 9, is sweet to his friend. Uh, they are looking out for your best interests. They know you and they care for you and they're trying to do what is best and give you counsel to help you, not counsel that is for their own selfish interest or uh, trying to trick you and bring harm upon you. Um, Let's think about the other side of this, though, for a moment. What, uh, what are some of the ways where counsel can go wrong? Um, and I'm thinking in terms of misuse of counsel and limitations of counsel. So in seeking out counsel from other people, what are some of the ways that you can misuse it? And what are some of the ways where it is, can only do so much? So... Think about those two categories, misuse and limitations of counsel. Yeah, so you go find somebody that you know that they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you might not present the whole picture to them. Yeah, and they're giving you limited counsel. Uh, they only know your side of the story uh, if, in that case. And then, and then you can kind of claim as authoritative the fact that like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I asked somebody for counsel and I asked to see if they were like, you know, if, if, every, if I was doing everything right. Well, okay, maybe, maybe you need to make sure that, um, that there's more information presented there and the whole picture is presented. Yeah, what else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just keeping on answering, ignoring what's good, and then going to find someone that you gives you the answer you want to hear. Yeah.
and blaming the other uh, blaming the other person for that and yeah, placing those consequences upon them. So you can use that to uh, both avoid making a decision, as you said, to put this off and put this off and to never actually make it. You know, you're just seeking counsel over and over again. And what you ultimately want from them is not so much wisdom, but what you want from them is uh, you want to know what the actual outcome of the decision is going to be before you make it. And this is this is uh, akin to, it's kind of like the watered down version of seeking an answer from God in like verbal, direct form. Um, so when we want to hear the voice of God outside of scripture uh, and say, you know, God told me this or that, this, this is kind of like the same driving motivation in some ways where we want to know specifically what is going to happen if I do this. And the answer is we can't usually know at all what's going to happen, uh, but we keep looking for advice so that's one reason we just want to put off the decision, but then, yeah, also blaming this on someone else. And, I mean, this can take place in all kinds of ways. Uh, you have to watch out for this. Uh, this may be not directly on the subject, but I would even encourage you to make sure that you're not doing this when you're in a position of authority and responsibility, that you don't go and just ask everybody so that you can put that off or, you know, on someone else. This is something that husbands do often with regard to their wives, and they will uh, they will then place, you know, the blame for a bad decision upon her if it doesn't turn out right, as opposed to realizing that, you know, no, you actually were okay with this. So if you want to be responsible for being the leader in the home, the way scripture describes, but then you don't want to take responsibility when there's a decision made that you've been involved in because it was, hey, it was her idea, you know, or her wisdom, then this is just sinful on your part. So, Yes, uh, absolving yourself of the blame for a bad decision because this was somebody else's decision. No, this was your decision and this was their counsel, but their counsel did not make you do this. Uh, what else? Yes, Scott. Right, right, absolutely. And see, this is the other side of it, right? Where um, you have, ultimately, you have to live with the consequences of the decision that you're making. So the fact that there is a sort of more objective part of this or, or a distance from this, at the same time, can make it where that person who's giving counsel can just drop something on you, you know, and like, oh yeah, sure, it's this and this, and they're not actually having to live with the consequences of that decision. So yeah, the backside of that is uh, they can be more objective. The problem with it is at the same time, they can be more objective and they don't, they don't feel the weight of it the same way that, that you do. Um, now they might, but they don't necessarily. Uh, yeah, what else, as far as limitations go, because that, that does speak to that point. Limitations of counsel. Yeah, Chad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we just, we're finite. We don't know that much, right? So the only absolutely reliable guaranteed things are what the Bible actually says. And so if, if we, if our, once our counsel goes outside of that, then it, it really is subject to, um, to being wrong about a judgment call, to being mistaken about what might happen or what's most likely to happen. Yeah. Okay, what else? What are some of the limitations of counsel? Yeah, so the counselor can become a, a controller. That's right. So yes, the, uh, and, and this is where you need to be careful with distinguishing counsel from um, biblical precept. 
There is a place for counsel that brings God's word to bear and says you must do this or you must not do that. There are other places where you bring scripture into the picture for wisdom and say, you know, there's a biblical principle here and you need to make sure you're considering that. And then there's counsel that's just, well, here is a godly person and here's what they did. And that might not be necessarily uh, derived from any particular place in Scripture. It would be good to ask the reasons why they did that or why their opinion is that way. But it doesn't mean at all that it's authoritative. And we can get get in trouble by putting our counselors in the place of always being authoritative in everything that they say. And that's just not the case. And that's especially the case. um, It's especially the temptation to do that when that person is a spiritual authority. Uh, and making sure that you distinguish between the advice and the um, actual biblical precept in counsel is important for both, uh, just say in particular with uh, pastors and with uh, people who are seeking counsel from them or any other type of spiritual authority because it's very easy to mix that up and say, well, this person is my elder. This person told me that they think I should do this, therefore I'm sinning if I go against what they said. That's just not the way that it works. There is a distinction that has to be made there. So make sure that you're not uh, letting that become uh, control, authority, whatever, beyond what Scripture actually says. Um, Making sure you distinguish wisdom and judgment and advice and that type of counsel uh, from actual biblical requirements and making sure that you have those in the proper categories is important. Uh, I would add as well, uh, so the passage in 1 Kings 12, it talks about how the counsel of the elders was wiser than the counsel of the young men that Rehoboam grew up with. Uh, I would just want to make sure that we're clear that that's not always the case. Uh, Generally speaking, there is wisdom to be gained through life experience. But uh, just because someone is very experienced in something or has done something a lot, uh, or is even thought to be uh, an expert in something by certain people. That in and of itself does not make that person a better counselor, and it doesn't make that person uh, more knowledgeable about the subject in an accurate way. So you do have to be discerning about that as well. Uh, People can do something very poorly for a long time. And people can do something that works for them and think that that's the way to do it because, hey, this worked for me. And this is the way that I did it. Um, I see this, uh, unfortunately, I feel like most often in um, the Christian world with regard to uh, parenting type of things where, uh, you know, it's about we did this in our family. So, you know, this, why don't you do this? And it just kind of copy one thing to the next without thinking about what were the biblical principles involved? Why did we do this? And uh, how do we apply wisdom? How do we gain wisdom from this? And then how do we apply this in the wisest type of way? So don't just think that someone, because they have been successful in something, or maybe even because they've done something for a long time, that that necessarily makes them wiser than someone else uh, who has not done that particular thing or is an outsider to that. Um, this is true also with regard to the realms of the realm of like uh, knowledge of certain kinds. Um, you know, the, the world is constantly changing. And so there may be things that that seem to someone who has done something for a long time, like this is kind of uh, what this new way of doing this is kind of foolish. Uh, but as it turns out, maybe it's not. So just keep in mind that there is not an ironclad rule that just because someone is older uh, or someone has done something for a longer time that they are necessarily going to give you better counsel. Uh, with that said, there are a lot of things that come with, with age and with experience and in particular with spiritual maturity that has been directed by scripture that you should be very, very slow about rejecting. So just the default ought to be the more you move in that direction, uh, the slower you ought to be to say, no, you're mistaken, you're wrong, or this is not a good idea. You ought to really give that consideration. Uh, but it's not a hard and fast rule that just because someone is older or more experienced that, they will be, that their counsel should be accepted over the counsel of someone else. Um, at the end of the day, counsel is important for us to keep in its proper place. It is just that. It is counsel, and you are responsible for the decisions that you make. 
We, before God, are responsible for our own decisions. So when we seek counsel, we need to make sure that we're doing it not with the goal of avoiding decisions, uh, not with the goal of trying to know with certainty the outcome of the future, but with trying to gain the most wisdom that we can to make a decision that's going to be best uh, in light of the fact that we are finite and that we can draw upon the, the great, the knowledge, the experience, the wisdom that other people, uh, that other people specifically have that they can give us. Um, so just make sure that you are taking counsel and then making a decision and owning the responsibility for your decision before the Lord. All right, uh, we'll spend the last few minutes talking about our own preferences and the place of this, but anything else on uh, counsel before we move on to that? Questions or any kind of final uh, other comments on that? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sometimes if you're seeking help from somebody else, like, yeah, the situation has taken a while to, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so there, there's not a just total reset everything at the moment. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So it can take some time uh, for that to take place. Yes, good. Okay, let's, uh, the final consideration here would be your own preferences or your own desires. Uh, your own preferences or your own desires. And uh, you say that doesn't sound very godly um, to think about what I want in the decision-making process. But this is simply to say that when you are properly considering all of the other factors that Scripture lays out, uh, it is perfectly appropriate to do things that you want to do. First of all, because you have the freedom to do them, biblically, you're permitted to do them. God doesn't place constraints uh, absolutely upon every single thing that we do in every way. Uh, But also, hopefully, if you have tested all of these motives and uh, if you have considered counsel and you have considered your responsibilities and all of that and given your attention to godliness, then the things that you are going to choose would hopefully come out of a heart that is sanctified. And you're going to be making choices that are never just for pleasing yourself, but they are done with attitudes of thanksgiving, pleasing the Lord, uh, of rejoicing, and all the other things that Scripture tells us that we ought to be uh, possessing as we act in everything that we do in life. Uh, just a couple of examples from Scripture that talk about just kind of doing uh, what we want to do. First uh, Timothy six seventeen, starting there, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Uh, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Here you have a whole lot with regard to the decisions that someone might make if they're rich. Um, He doesn't say instruct them to give away all their money. He says instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share meaning that they are to be giving of themselves and they're to have a certain attitude about what is, um, quote-unquote, theirs. We know that everything ultimately belongs to the Lord. Um, They are also to have this eternal perspective, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation of the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. When they're doing what they want, when they are pursuing activities that they desire, they need to make sure that they realize that this is not the only life we have. And in fact, it's not even our best life. It's not even the true life. That which is life indeed is that which comes in the future. It is eternal life. So the idea that our world so uh, strongly pursues of the uh, you only live once, the YOLO philosophy, where you just try to, you know, just do everything that you want and and get it done because, you know, you only get this one life. Uh, That doesn't really square with what the scripture says. So this kind of selfish, hedonistic pursuit that just throws caution to the wind and has to do it all here and now. You know, we talk about this idea of a uh, bucket list 
um, which I think came from a movie at some point, basically like where you're trying to do as much as you can before you kick the bucket. And so you have these bucket list items, you know, you've got to get them done and you have to, you have to get to all these things. I've got to visit here and go on this trip and do this thing. Well, you know, enjoy the things that you can do, but make sure that you don't get out of perspective on what life indeed really is and uh, make sure that you keep the eternal in mind. But he does say in verse 17 uh, that God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. It is okay to enjoy things. Anything that we do have, we are to be grateful for. First Timothy 4 tells us this in uh, verse 4 and 5. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. And so there are things that we can enjoy, things that we can be glad to have, and uh, things that we can do and participate in. So um, we, we do have the opportunity to do that, and it is permitted to do that. And therefore, all other things equal, when you've considered everything that ought to go into this kind of a decision, then do what you want to do. Do what you would like to do. Make the decision that all other things equal is most pleasing, most enjoyable. Uh, that's, that's the one that you want. Do you perceive ever that there is a bias uh, among Christians or in your own life toward doing the opposite of that? Does anyone perceive that? Yes? No? Yes? Okay. What would that look like? And why, where would that come from? Why would people perceive that? Okay, yeah. So there's a good kind of check in your heart, right? That that is like this, okay, I want to make sure that I'm doing this not for my glory, not for my self-interest, not from pleasing me, but pleasing the Lord, glorifying the Lord, doing it for his interests, okay? So there, so there is a, a, a good pull away from just doing what you want, okay? Is there more to it than that? Yeah, stoic, like, so, uh, and specifically on this, like, uh, elaborate for us, because, yeah, I, I think that's part of it, yeah. What, what, what else would you say on that? Okay, yeah, so not wanting to be affected, just kind of being able, like, all sufficient in and of yourself, and... Uh, not in need of anything and not dependent upon anything, but really just your own self. Yeah, which is, you know, not only wrong on this level, but um, you know, our sufficiency is in Christ, not in our own ability to get outside of the world in which we live or to be a world to our own selves. Uh, but yes, that, that can be a reason why we might do that. Uh, certainly, you know, asceticism, um, the, the wrong type of self-affliction that basically says that suffering in and of itself is good and sanctifying and that we ought to seek out as much as we can. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 takes this on head on. Uh, verse 21 gives these rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It says in verse 23 of Colossians 2, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It's kind of like we think that if we never do anything that we enjoy, then that's going to make us more sanctified. It's just not the case. Or if we just always choose that which we don't want. I think there can be a bias um, away from ever doing anything that you want even just for the sake of uh, self-control and discipline, almost to the point where if you reach a point where you say, these are the two options here and I want that one, I might just choose the other one all the time to avoid just being the kind of person that would, uh, would get involved in you know, just doing what I want to do. Certainly there is a place to be cautious about our own slant toward self-fulfillment, but... Uh, 
the Bible does tell us that there is a time and a place where within the scope of all the parameters God has set, we can do what we want. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want to say that this passage was pointed out to me by someone um, earlier during this class. So I, I, I forget, but if so, um, my apologies for not giving you credit for this. But 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He says, But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. I just love that because he, he says he just didn't want to come. So he didn't come, he, and he didn't, want to, he didn't want to be there. And I didn't say, you know, Apollos, you really should, you should, you know, do what's in the best interest of the Corinthian church because they could really use you. You know, they, they look up to you. They, they um, respect you. And he just said, no, Apollos really, he didn't at all want to come right now, but he may come later. So he just made this decision based upon what he uh, what he wanted to do, what he desired to do. Even Paul himself had these particular desires that went beyond Scripture. He wanted to go to Rome. He, he kept trying to do that. He had this desire. And it was all, it was all kinds of sanctified from all kinds of different directions. He, it was strategic. But he had this desire to do this. So avoid selfishness, avoid uh, self-indulgence, make sure that you maintain uh, carefulness in your decisions but there is a place when you have adequately considered everything to in fact choose what you want go to the restaurant that you want choose the color shirt that you want to wear pick the house among the ones that you're buying that you like better Uh, these are the kinds of things that are okay to do and you don't need to feel bad about them just make sure that you're considering the other things that we need to consider when we're making decisions okay that's all the time we have for this morning, and uh, so hopefully this series of considerations has been helpful. Um, what I want to do next time is to look at the place of the conscience in decision-making and the relationship between these two, and I, I think hopefully overcome what are some common misperceptions about the way we use not only the conscience but also the terminology surrounding conscience when it comes to decision-making. So hopefully that'll be a helpful uh, time next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can come and we can uh, talk about all these different factors with, uh, with regard to making decisions before you. And we pray that you give us wisdom in uh, everything with regard to this, in discerning our own motives, in guarding against selfishness. We pray that we would... Uh, would know when and where to seek counsel on decisions. We pray that we would uh, be humble and we pray that we would take responsibility. God, we pray that you would help us to gain and to grow in wisdom and see the value of that as Christians so that we can give wise counsel to others. Father, we pray that you would, uh, that you would give us grace in this so that we may live a life that pleases you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.